This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. What's up? Hi. (laughs) (laughs) How are y'all today? Um, We've just been having some interesting life conversations right before we got started recording, so... Yay, adulthood! Good job, us. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But um, it's okay. It's all right. We we're here and we're recording. And hi, hi. I don't know. And we have alcohol. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so and and sweet treats. Yeah, because you know why? It's hump day. <laughs> so it was my turn this week. Hi. Yes. And I decided to go to Drip Donuts because they're having their soft opening right now. And they just opened a brand new building downtown in a, like, the best location possible. They have a parking yes. lot. That's nice. I That's know. a rare commodity in downtown Shreveport. Very rare. Um, they started from a food truck, which they still have outside. Yeah. The food truck was awesome. Yeah. Is awesome. Still is. Yeah. They yes. still do it on, like, Saturdays and Wednesdays, I think. I don't know. I do know that they do special events and stuff mm-hmm. when we go to the outdoor movies at the Norton Art Gallery. They will be at the outdoor movies sometimes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, now they have an official location. So I went there and I said, hey, um, so my friend has been here, but I have not. So what you got? Yeah. The first donut she points to. She was like, well, do you like old fashions? Bitch, shut up. That's my favorite drink in the whole entire world. Are you serious? Yes, I want that. And then she proceeded to tell me what was in it. It has a bourbon-infused cream. Um, and sprinkled on top are dried cherries and dried oranges that taste like candy. Holy shit. It's delicious. Even if you don't like bourbon, um, it's really good because it's not too overpowering. That cream was good, y'all. Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's what <laughs> she like said. <laughs> It was good, though. I got Brita S'mores. Because that's my favorite. And it has marshmallow cream inside of it. Mm-hmm. So we all about the cream. <laughs> <laughs> it has a toasted, like they toast a marshmallow and put it on top. Mm-hmm. And it's got chocolate drizzle and graham cracker crumbles. And it's oh, just. Oh, it's bougie. It's fancy. And she thick. She thick. Bitch it's, thick. It's a, it's a big one. It's good, too. Mm-hmm. And I wash it down. <laughs> classy as fuck today y'all classy as fuck well i have a reason why i did the, this combination <laughs> as well <laughs> but i got some abita brewing purple haze raspberry lager yes um yeah if y'all haven't listened to the episode about catacombs where we talked about abita leaving a bottle by the structure um now we have bottles mm-hmm. we have to keep these till we go to paris <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can collect more between now and then. Yeah, but these are special. This is like my favorite Abita. It's delicious. It is really, really good. But I was thinking about like beauty pageant movies. Uh, We haven't told them our theme yet. Oh, well, um, (laughs) it's beauty pageant murders or beauty queen murders. Yes. (laughs) What what was it? Beauty queen murders. (laughs) 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 Ta-da. Surprise. 
Um, so that's why I did this. And I was thinking about, okay, Drop Dead Gorgeous. They did coffee and bars. But Brittany's never seen Drop Dead Gorgeous. I still so haven't seen it. Get it. I know. I'm such a loser. So I channeled my Sandra Bullock when she <laughs> stuffed the donuts down her dress and upper dress and <laughs> Miss Congeniality. <laughs> Miss Congeniality. That's and my shit. I've seen that one. She drank beer. Mm-hmm. So, so we have we beer and donuts. It's perfect. I'm, I'm not like mad it. at any of it. Good. I was I was hoping you wouldn't be. I mean, why would you be? At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. There's your hump day treat. You're I'm, welcome. Happy I'm humping. Here for this classy shit. I came here today in sweatpants and rain boots. So like this, it we are winning. Cold <laughs> and rainy, and I'm over this. No, I don't mind the cold I, and rainy. I don't. But I'm also. I was loving those few days of like 70 degrees, and it was sunny. It was nice. But I'm also not ready for the 100 degree humidity. Well, I'm like. Super ridiculously pale. <laughs> she burns. <laughs> and my skin don't like the sunshine. No. And I have pale blue eyes. And my eyes don't like the sunshine. So I don't, I, I could live in Seattle. It's fine. I don't need the sun. <laughs> it's fine. It rains so much there. <laughs> I'm good with it. I'm cool. I mean, I really don't mind the rain. That it's means just, good sleeps. I'm over the cold. Like I can't go dance out in the rain and it's too cold. You are going to get sick. Don't get exactly. in the rain. Because it's too cold. I'm not going out there when it's this cold. That's why I'm ready for some warm weather. I can't with you. <laughs> I can't with you. Yeah, you got to do the dancing naked on a full moon. No, I'm good. You can't do that when it's cold. I'm good. I, I'll dance fully clothed. Well, that's clothing is optional, as you may well remember. That's a fucking lie anyway. I'm not dancing fully clothed either. <laughs> You are when you have enough uh, cherry vodka sours. It takes an act of nature and a lot of alcohol to make me dance somewhere. It's fine. I can do that. I can get you drunk. <laughs> you just want me all liquored up, don't you? Maybe. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Okay, Anywho. so go. go to the socials um, for all the shenanigans and case photos that we're going to be talking about. There's case photos, there's trivia, there's hump day treats, mm-hmm. there's random memes, there's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sold on that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I promise shit. this is not my first day. What is happening? Okay. I don't know. Let's, let's just, just do let's, stories. Yeah, let's just do stories. Okay, so this is episode 78. Yes, it is. And the topic, like Amanda said, is beauty queen murders. Yeah. So my case this week is one that you all probably already know about, but it is worth telling again and again. I ain't ready. Oh, my God. Are y'all ready? Cuckoo bananas. Flat. Cuckoo bananas. Here we go. So... In the small southern town of Osceola, Georgia, the disappearance of Tara Grinstead shook the close-knit community and stumped investigators. Tara was only 30 years old when she mysteriously vanished on October 22, 2005. So, go ahead and go over to the notes so we can see what Tara looks like. Yeah. It says, believe it or not, Tara. What? I know. The way you title your photos just amazes me. A little on the nose, but... (laughs) (laughs) Easy to find. Yeah. So here's a lovely picture of her 
in a cotton field, and she's got hair for days, and I'm here for that shit. I know. I love her hair. Gorgeous. She's so she's got such a pretty smile. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah. there's always a but. Always in February 2017, a popular podcast. Up and Vanished with Payne Lindsay. You Baby. may have heard of it. Jizzles. <laughs> you may have seen him. Uh-huh. <laughs> Investigated the case and received a tip from a local resident. That tip was then brought to authorities. Ryan Duke and Bo Dukes. No relation. It's a Duke and a Duke. <laughs> Not the Deuce of Hazard. No, no. Uh, <laughs> when you try to Google pictures of Bo Dukes, you're going to get a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> but they were arrested. Although the culprits were caught, much of the crime still remains a mystery. Yeah. So let's let's break some of this down. Let's talk about this. Tara Faye Grinstead was born in Hawkinsville, Georgia on November 14th, 1974. Hello, Scorpio. <laughs> Hi, friend. <laughs> Her parents say that she fell in love with beauty pageants as a teenager and began to compete locally. I have a picture of her in high school. Oh, yes. <laughs> It says high school um, and the hair. Oh, my hair. Oh, my hair. It's fabulous. Oh, my God. I remember that style. Her whole outfit is everything. Yeah. So it's it's exactly what I tried to look like, but I was way younger and it just didn't. So when this (laughs) style was popular, I was in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know how I've told you the story before about how I permed my hair? Yeah. It was girls with hair like that. That's the reason why I <laughs> permed my hair. It's because I wanted to look like that. Yes. I was 10 and I had no business with my hair looking that way. But alas, here we are. It was, it was a thing. It was a thing. But yeah, her, her style she's got right there was goals. Yes. Tara had her sights set on her future. She used pageants as a way of achieving her goals. Tara was a former Miss Tifton who had competed in the Miss Georgia pageant three times. I have a picture of her when she was Miss Tifton. Yes. And it's next to the uh, Tifton, Georgia Chamber of Commerce sign. <laughs> there she is presenting it with her crown and all her glory. Oh, <laughs> Being a good Miss Tifton. <laughs> She's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Definitely a, a beauty queen. She chose to compete in scholarship pageants and would use her winnings to pay for her education. She pursued a career in education following her success in pageants. So nice. she yeah, she used all her winnings to pay to pay for college. Yeah, she did it right. Tara graduated from Middle Georgia College in 2003 and received a master's degree in education at Valdosta State University in Georgia. She began teaching 11th grade history at Irwin County High School in her hometown of Osceola. High school? Nope. <laughs> I ain't teaching high school. To be in your 20s and teaching 11th graders? No, thank you, mm-hmm. please. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. <laughs> Tara rose up the ranks to become an assistant principal. She was well on her way to achieving her goal of being a high school principal. Tara's stepmom, Carrie, said that she was very dedicated to her job. Her students saw her as a role model, especially young girls who also competed in pageants. Yeah. So I have a pageant picture of her. Okay. And says pageant. Yes, ma'am. And her fancy dress and red lips. Mm-hmm. And she wears that crown very well. It, all the time. It'd be falling off my head. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, this got to go. Yeah. That's enough. Okay. <laughs> my head ain't built for a crown. <laughs> 
Horns, maybe? Crown? No. <laughs> I was about to say, it depends on what type of crown we're talking about. <laughs> Two days before her disappearance, Tara hosted her students at her home to prepare for the town's annual Miss Georgia Sweet Potato Pageant. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Here's a quote from one of her students. She was in a great mood, which, of course, whenever she did hair and makeup for any pageant girls, she was in a great mood. That would stress me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do my own hair and no. makeup. What am I like? There's no way in hell I would be doing hair and makeup for a pageant. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, no, I've gotten designated as the face paint mom with uh, my daughter's cheer. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I wear makeup maybe twice a month, and um, that's it. And I still put makeup on the same way I did when I was in high school. And I'm like 22 now, so. (laughs) Well, it's not like it was that long ago, so it's okay. So, um, it still looks good. Full disclosure. And I probably wore blue eyeliner because that was the thing when I was Mm -hmm. in high school. I probably wore blue eyeliner until I was literally like 22, 23 years old. Like I was probably the only person in the world left wearing blue eyeliner and would heat it up with a lighter before I put it on. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Only on, only on the bottom. Only on the bottom. To make my blue eyes look bluer because that needed to be a thing, I guess. I okay, well, we're going to have to get you some blue eyeliner. <laughs> Test this. <laughs> See this. Now I just wear lots of black. Nothing wrong with that. No. It's always good. Tara was so beloved by her community and so involved that when she didn't come to school on Monday, October 24th, 2005, everyone who knew her was worried. When she didn't show up for school on Monday morning, I knew something was wrong, and I knew it was something serious. I knew something beyond her control had happened, said Carrie. That was her her stepmom. Mm-hmm. Authorities received a phone call from a neighbor that morning to report Tara's disappearance. But by the time the police chief, Billy Hancock, and his team arrived at the home, nobody had seen or heard from her in 34 hours. No. I have a picture of the outside of Tara's house. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, she had close neighbors. Mm-hmm. But there was a good amount of privacy on her property. There's a lot of trees and stuff, so. Yeah, and it was a decent neighborhood. It, uh, It's so sad. Yeah. Tara's car was still parked in the driveway, which Hancock said was an immediate red flag. Authorities also noted a latex glove in the front yard and a business card that was wedged in her front door. Lord, the glove. Oh, yeah. my God. The driver's seat in her car was pushed further back than would be normal for a woman of her size. Mm-hmm. Her purse and keys were also missing. And strangely, there was an envelope of cash found on her dashboard. There was about $100 in there. Yeah. So um, whoever was robbing it wasn't doing a very good job. Or they weren't. <laughs> When they searched her home, her cell phone was charging at a wall outlet. The clothes she'd worn to a cookout before disappearing were still in a pile on the bedroom floor. While there wasn't any indication of forced entry, those who knew Tara believed her to be tidy and wouldn't have left her clothes on the floor. She also would not have abandoned her pet dog and cat. Her bedroom clock was found beneath her bed and had been switched off for six hours. 
A lamp lay broken at her bedside table. I'm going to say there was a struggle. There was something. Something. Hancock had a gut feeling that something was terribly wrong. He immediately called Gary Rothwell, a special agent at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. We didn't have any signs of forced entry. There was no sign of a struggle. But there was a broken lamp. Come on. Come on, Gary. Get with it. But that's not to say that something could have happened. We can't rule that out, but there were no obvious signs of violence in the residence, said Rothwell. I let's <clears throat> I beg to differ, sir. Bruh. Sir. Gary. Where did you get your degree? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is going on? So okay, sidestep here. Okay. Have you ever seen that limited series of Waco? And it was about David Koresh. But the uh, oh, investigator oh. in it, like the main, the lead investigator guy. Yeah. His name was Gary. Okay. And so throughout this show, as we're watching it, every time somebody gets mad at him, they're Gary, Gary. <laughs> that's how they say his name. And that's how I hear the name Gary all the time now. It's stuck. And that's how I want to say it. But it's Jonathan's fault. Hi, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely doesn't listen to the podcast. But um, when we would all watch it, he was the one that would go, Gary, every time somebody said Gary. And now it's stuck in my brain. So sorry for the Gary's. <laughs> but it's going to continue to happen. Well, now you have to say it like that every time. I, I'm here for it. Okay. A massive local search began. Irwin County students, teachers, and countless volunteers partnered with local authorities. Rothwell described this as the most extensive search he had personally been involved with in his career. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of people. Lots of folks. Mm -hmm. The last time that anyone had seen or heard from Tara was on the Saturday night that she went missing. Investigators knew that she had been with the pageant girls she mentored in her home, and then they all went to the pageant together. They also knew that around 8 p.m., she stopped by her neighbor's house for half an hour and finally headed to a cookout a few blocks away from her home. She left to go home at around 10.30 p.m. The fact that police found the clothes she wore to the cookout bunched up on her bedroom floor told them that she had returned home that evening. The fact that her purse and keys were missing led authorities to believe that Tara may have left with someone she knew. No neighbors reported any screaming that Saturday night, which made this possibility all the more likely. Because you could see by yeah. her house how close her neighbors were. But she left her phone. In 2005, having your phone like glued to your hand wasn't as much of a thing, though. Good point. Yeah. Okay. Authorities then considered boyfriends or romantic involvements. Mm. Okay, side tangent. I cut out all a lot of stuff like that I was going to include, and then I realized just how sexist <laughs> and awful it was. Oh, but yeah. She pretty much gets slut-shamed in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. because she had a very active love life. Yep. And mind your own fucking business. Who cares? Leave her alone. If she was a man, nobody would give a shit how many people she had slept with. So... Here we are, and I'm not going to talk about that. That was it. Good. The first person police looked into was Tara's ex-boyfriend, Army Ranger Marcus Harper. The couple had a rocky six-year relationship. I have a picture of Marcus and Tara together. Okay. And she looks like a million bucks, as always. 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 Oh, he cute. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I can't really see his face. (laughs) He's kind of (laughs) squinting. He had a uniform on. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't know. It's not very flattering, so I can't really. <laughs> it's just fatigues. Like it's not. So that's Marcus. Yeah, Marcus. During Sorry, that, Marcus. During that time, both Tara and Marcus dated other people, but family and close friends say that Tara was truly in love with him. Two weeks before she disappeared, Marcus ended things with Tara for good. The last time he saw her was a week before she went missing, and he claimed that she came to his home to beg for him to take her back. He also Hmm. claimed that Tara said that if she saw him with another woman, that she'd complete suicide. Oh, the drama. That drama. Friends and family immediately dismissed this. Authorities ruled out suicide as well, as it would be awfully hard for a dead woman to hide her own body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, come on. (laughs) Marcus also had a legitimate alibi. On the night of Tara's disappearance, he had been at a bar with a former cop partner. So. Okay. Investigators also immediately identified Anthony Vickers, a former student, um, as a suspect. Tara had taken him under her wing as he was known to be a troubled kid. I have a picture of Anthony, like the only picture I could find. It looks like a school school picture. But there's Anthony. Yeah, I don't think he did it. Nah. Me neither, but um, he needs some uh, some counseling. But we'll get into <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. We'll get into yeah. that. <laughs> so she felt for Anthony and gave him a little extra attention. Anthony then apparently became obsessed with her mm-hmm. and in March 2005 tried to enter her home. Tara filed a report with the police where she described the incident. Anthony appeared to be out of control and he knocked on her door and windows while he forcefully ordered Tara to come out. Police could not draw a solid connection between Anthony and Tara's disappearance. The last suspect was the man whose name appeared on the business card wedged in Tara's door. Neighbors said this man frequently visited her. His name was Heath Dykes, a married police officer in Perry, a nearby town. I forgot about him. Uh huh. I couldn't find any pictures of him. Mm. That made me mad. Wonder why. Hmm. He had left two dozen messages on Tara's answering machine on the night she vanished. Two dozen. Two dozen. That's 24 Bruh. people. Calm the fuck down. Get <laughs> Stop calling me. Get the hint. <laughs> Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> While all three suspects claimed innocence, none of their alibis completely covered the full 34 hours Tara was missing. Authorities kept all of their names in the mix, though years later it would become clear that it was not necessary. Yeah. The small town of Osceola has a population of just over 3,000 residents. Naturally, rumors spread. Some theorized that she was kidnapped by a stalker. Others feared that the criminal responsible was from their little city and was still there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very insightful. Somebody knows. The GBI kept details about their investigation under wraps for a total of three years until CBS aired an episode of 48 Hours about Tara's case in 2008. In the episode, authorities revealed to the public the most important piece of evidence that they believed would lead them to the culprit, the latex glove. Yup. I have a picture of said glove. (sighs) It says glove. Glove. (laughs) It looks Uh. like it's laying on the edge of a flower bed or like... Under it a was. tree, you know, with the pine straw or whatever. Yeah. If you go back to that picture of her house, that tree that's on the right of the driveway, I think that's where it was. Okay. 
The glove had been sent to a crime lab for testing. To recover DNA from a latex glove has proven unsuccessful and highly unlikely in the past. But in this case, the lab was able to gather forensic evidence. Mm -hmm. They recovered male DNA and a fingerprint. But even after this evidence was paired with all possible suspects, there was no match. 100 people were tested, and the GBI even tried to match the DNA nationally. With no matches in nearly three years, authorities called on the public to come forward with any tips. We hope there's someone who knows something, knows a person that was involved with this case and was withholding that information for fear that we were not going to be able to prove it. We will be able to prove it, and we want one of those types of persons, if they have that type of information, to come forward, said Rothwell of the GBI. Said Gary. That's what I say. Uh-uh. Gary. <laughs> This case has never gone cold. Leads come in on a weekly basis. We have several avenues we are pursuing. Rothwell continued. Gary mm. continued. <laughs> so here we go. Yeah. Are okay. y'all are y'all ready for this? Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. Okay. Go. Osceola local Brooke Sheridan came forward with information, and this was the same time that the tip came in to podcaster Payne Lindsay. So all this happened around the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Brooke's information was regarding her boyfriend, who was an ex-student of Tara's. His name was Bo Dukes. In her only interview, Brooke spoke with Peter Van Zandt, the correspondent responsible for the 48 Hours episode. I felt like I was going to be sick. I didn't know who I was staring at. I didn't know who he was, said Brooke. Bo had confided in her that back in 2005, his friend Ryan Duke had killed Tara. So I have a picture here mm-hmm. that has both Ryan and Bo. They were next to each other in the yearbook. So these are their yearbook <laughs> pictures. Ugh. Ryan Duke and Bo Dukes. Aren't they cute? No. No. They're garbage. Mm-hmm. Complete. Uh, yep. Bo said that his friend had convinced him to help dispose of the body. It was later revealed that Bo burned the body to cover up the crime. Brooke ultimately decided to come forward about her boyfriend because she believed that Tara's family's peace was more important than his freedom. Good job, Brooke. Yes. Good job, Queen. Brooke confronted Bo as well. Here's a quote from Brooke. I said, you need to confess. You need to own up to what you've done and confess because that family deserves to know. According to Brooke, Bo agreed. He says, I just want her family to know. Yeah, well. <laughs> okay, now here's a little, here's a roller coaster, and y'all decide what y'all think. Oh, God. Yeah. Ryan Duke, 36, was sentenced in Irwin County Superior Court in 2022, just three days after a jury acquitted him of murder and the death of Tara Grinstead. Mm-hmm. Here's a picture of Ryan oh as, as a grown-up. As a grown-up. <laughs> He's got a lot less hair. There's a lot less hair there. Yeah. That's him in court. Okay. Yeah, garbage. Yup. Mm-hmm. Douchebags. Ryan testified that he gave investigators a false confession after a friend killed Tara. He was convicted only of concealing her death. The 10-year sentence given by Judge Bill Reinhardt was the maximum punishment allowed. Ryan has already served about half that time in jail awaiting trial. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Even as years passed, her family held out hope that she would be found alive until Ryan told investigators in 2017 that he killed Tara and burned her body to ash with the help of a friend. Mm-hmm. 
So this is, he came to investigators in 2017 and com- confessed. Okay. But he said that confession was false. That's why he only got convicted the 10 years. But here's such bullshit. Yeah. I hate, I hate that. I hate that. A confession is a confession. Here's a quote from Judge Reinhardt um, okay. from the sentencing. Every day they couldn't find Tara, and it is true that despite whatever your selfish feelings were for not coming forward, you had the power to stop that pain for years. Yep. So much truth. Ryan told agents with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation that he had broken into Tara's home in October 2005 to steal money for drugs. He said he fatally struck Tara when she startled him. Ryan recanted his confession during his trial, testifying to the jury that he made it up under the influence of drugs and in fear of the real killer, his friend Bo Dukes, 37. So, Duke and Dukes is pointing their fingers at each other. (laughs) Prosecutors insisted the confession included details only the killer would know, like him telling investigators he called Tara's home from a payphone after fleeing the house to see if she would answer. When she did not, he said he returned to find her dead. Yep. He confessed because he got caught. Tara's sister, Anita Gaddies, told the court during the sentencing hearing. There is nothing sanctimonious about that. No. Investigators also found Ryan's DNA on a latex glove found in Tara's yard. Still, his testimony gave enough doubt to the jury that he was acquitted of all charges except for concealing her death. Jury. What the hell are you doing? What are you doing? For Oh, my God. Okay. Ryan testified that his friend Bo woke him up inside the mobile home they shared and told him that he killed Tara. He testified that Bo showed him Tara's purse and wallet. He said they both took Tara's body to the pecan orchard and burned it. I have a picture of where they found her in the pecan orchard. You don't really see anything. um, Because they, I mean, they really didn't find anything but a couple scraps of fabric and some bone. No, because they burned her for days. And some bone fragments, so... There wasn't a lot to Ugh. to find. No. <clears throat> but that's where that was. Investigators later found, like I just said, investigators <laughs> later found bone fragments at the site, but said DNA tests seeking to match them were inconclusive. They couldn't tell, you know. If it was actually. They couldn't be certain if that was actually her. I'm going to say it was. I mean. <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> All all signs point to yes. There happened to be a body exactly where they said it would be. So, mm-hmm. Bo was called to the witness stand uh, during Ryan's trial, but declined to answer questions, invoking his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Mm-hmm. He is already serving 25 years in prison after being convicted in 2019 of concealing Tara's death, giving false statements to investigators, and hindering the apprehension of a criminal. So I have a picture of Bo. Cool. <sighs> this is jail photo. Well, I hope he likes orange. Yeah. He's be wearing that for a while. I think it's kind of cray that he got more time than Ryan. Yeah. I feel like they should have gotten the same sentence. Uh-huh. It's the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, what the fuck? Yeah, but this I'm is garbage. With the, um, and I don't think nobody but the two of them really knows what happened. I know. And that's crazy. I I still don't think the whole truth is out. Oh, no. Because there's so many, like, ugh. Yeah, really, y'all? Rabbit holes in this one. This was just (laughs) the tip of the iceberg. This is a very detailed, very long case. Very. 
And uh, if you want a more comprehensive story, <laughs> more details, go listen to Payne Lindsay's podcast, Up and Vanished. Yeah. He, he covered every avenue, every aspect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. We went that, on that, that whole journey. That was my Good was job. My good job. Thank you. Very well done. Okay, here we go. Okay. My case is on um, Gracie Lou Freebush. <laughs> From New Jersey. <laughs> that was a terrible Jersey accent. That was awful. I'm not even going to try because I've done that before and it didn't work out really well. It's in one of the previous episodes, probably <laughs> in season one. I don't know. That's how long ago it was. Anywho, um, her name is not really Gracie Lou Freebush, but it's Jill <laughs> Ann Weatherwax. I mean. <laughs> might as well be. Might as well be. So 25 years ago this March, a Fenton, Michigan native and resident beauty queen was murdered. Shocker. Oh, my That's gosh. why we're here. I know. Her name is Jillian Weatherwax, and she was 27 years old. Her body was found in a vacant lot in Fresno, California. Jillian was born October 26, 1970. As a kid, she liked singing with her dad, James, and her family noticed her talents pretty early. Aww. At the age of 12, she enrolled in modeling and dance school. The small town girl was a cheerleader and a member of the track team at Fenton High School. By her junior year, she began entering in beauty pageants. She was crowned a Miss Flint finalist, but her biggest win so far was Miss Great Lakes at the age of 16. She had also been the face of Revlon Cosmetics. Get it, girl. Yeah. She graduated in 1988. And after that, she went to the local community college and got a cosmetology degree and began working as a hairstylist for a little bit. But she actually missed the pageants. So in the summer of 1989, she packed up and moved to Chicago, Illinois. All right. Let's go see a picture of Miss Jill Ann. Okay. I don't know if it's Jill Ann, but that's what I want to do. So. All right. So there she is. She says it says Jill Ann in her fabulous red as yes, well. Yes, girl. With her hair all done up. I know. Get it. Mm-hmm. She's got a really pretty smile, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't help but notice that one. And then I have a picture of when she won Miss Flint. The dress. Rocking it. Girl. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the hair. And the crown. Gorge. All of it. During a fashion show in Chicago, Jill Ann got her chance to go to Hollywood and pursue a singing career. There she met some random man that offered <laughs> to buy her a round-trip plane ticket to L.A. You know, no harm, no foul. Oh, my gosh. At least it was round-trip. <laughs> oh, my God. So I guess she figured that opportunity was too good to pass up. In 1990, she moved there. There, she led a jet-setting life, meeting and partying with some of Hollywood's biggest stars. Okay. She danced with Pat- with Patrick Swayze. Okay. She partied with Armand Arsante. Arsante? I don't know who that is. Um, sang with Van Morrison. Okay. And dined with Scott Bayo. Okay, Jill, you are living your best life. I know. And she wants saying back up for Whitney Houston. Living her best life. I have a photo of Jill and Patrick, so it was totally true. <laughs> She's a blonde in this one. That smile's the same, though. Mm-hmm. And he's so fine. My God. Dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. Woo! 
Dirty Dancing and Roadhouse were probably my faves. I've never seen Roadhouse. Oh I've never seen Roadhouse. Mm, it's a good one. Oh, yeah. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> she eventually signed up with an agency, but they ended up only getting her one job in a music video. It was a pretty big one. I don't know which one it was, but that wasn't enough for her because she just really wanted to sing. She used the stage name of Eve and was later known as Jill Weathers. In an interview with the Tri-County Times on May 1st, 1994, she likened her voice to a mix between Whitney and Janis Joplin. That's weird. I don't know. I'd like to hear it, though. You sound like a mix of Fergie and Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) You have the voice of an angel. (laughs) Perfect. I've been called the songbird of my generation (laughs) by people who have heard me. really good (laughs) when she lets you hear it i'll get her one day anywho it it better not be no more spice girls that's all i have to say (laughs) y'all have got to be on your toes if you're hanging around amanda that's true because if you're like living it up and having the best time Mm -hmm. and singing spice girls in your car at the top of your lungs she's going to video you so don't do that yeah without prompting (laughs) ah I believe that may be on Facebook somewhere. It might not be. I think it oh is. Oh, my God. It's in the universe. I think it is. So, her agent hooked her up with um, Joe DiCarlo. He was a big-time name in the music business, but he was also retired and several, several years older than Jill. Okay, that's two severals. Like, two decades. That ain't cute. <clears throat> Apparently, he thought she had what it took to break the retirement and he moved her into his house. Hmm. Isn't he sweet? Yeah, that's what that was. Guess what happened next? Mm. Their relationship <laughs> turned um, intimate. But surprisingly, her music career wasn't taking off for some reason. No shit. She was getting bored and restless. About this time, she met Ciro or Cine. That's a name. At his restaurant that summer. He was in his mid-50s and owned a bunch of restaurants in Europe. He hooked her up with a singing gig at his restaurant in Hollywood. And by the end of 1990, she left DiCarlo for him. Okay. Um, I have a picture of Jill and Gross Guy, because that's what I like to call him. Okay. It says Jill and Gross Guy. Oh, he is gross. Ew. Mm-hmm. And there's also another picture that says Ciro. Wow, nothing says Murica <laughs> like a red, white, and blue I'm romper was, and leather um, jacket with American flag <laughs> sleeves. <laughs> yeah, he's got the whole get up on. Hers is cute. I'm here for that. Oh my gosh. Is it the 4th of July? Like why? Why are we dressed like that? It was the 90s. No, no. <laughs> That's not cute. She's like a Spice Girl. Uh, it's but she's not got on cute. cowboy boots. So, Is that supposed to make it better? I don't know. It doesn't make it better? That's why I said so. Oi. Okay. There's another picture of them together. Okay. She got the hair, too. Let's see. Oh, okay. She looks hot in that picture. Uh, Yeah, that's why. He looks nasty in that picture. Well, and the other picture was kind of grainy, so I was like, I need what a better What is one. in his hand? Is that hair in his hand? Oh my god. I didn't notice that. That looks like hair. It that looks like her look hair. Like hair. Did he just cut her hair? 
What is happening? What is going on? What is that? What is that? I, I don't know. I don't like it. But she she is banging in that picture. I know. Curves. Hey. Yes. All right, girl. So now, as anyone naturally does, gross guy decided to put on the Miss Hollywood pageant, a pageant that hadn't been held for over a decade. And the prize, shocker, was a record deal with his company because he had a record label as well. Okay, wait. Wait what? a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? So the prize for a beauty pageant mm-hmm. is a record deal. Yeah. Not all beauty queens can sing. And if you have your own record label, why not just give your woman? I don't know. I don't really understand that part either. It's stupid. And yeah, my argument is the same thing. Yeah, but, but she won it. <laughs> Shocker. No shit. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. I'm a drink. Okay. I'm annihilating this fucking donut over here. I have to save some of mine for Asher. I have a sugar rush. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she got the record deal. In 1991, he closed his restaurant in Hollywood and they moved to London. She once again began singing at his restaurants. But he wanted more for his little angel. Gross. So at the age of 21, she recorded two albums financed by him. They flopped. and I um, didn't realize she was only 21. Yeah. That's even grosser. It's all grosser. Yeah. And that was a hit that she just couldn't handle. By 1992, she was partying so much that her friends and family were pretty sure that she was an alcoholic. Mm. She became pregnant later that year, actually. And um, in January, she chose to have an abortion. Oh, that's so sad. Uh-huh. And it was pretty much a downward spiral after this. Of course. It was so bad that Gross Guy actually broke it off with her. Jill felt as though she had been abandoned. Her friends said that Jill's demeanor would completely change. She did move back to L.A. And um, he still took care of her, though. He gave her a weekly allowance, and he provided a place for her to live with his nephew and his friends in a condo. Um, that's no, weird. thank you. But stability doesn't seem to be her drug of choice, and her allowance was not enough to support her habits. She liked a little thing called methamphetamines. Okay. But it's a good thing Gross Guy had his connections with people like Ron Jeremy for help. Oh, my fuck. Because he got her jobs modeling for adult magazines. And she also started dancing in strip clubs for money. Okay. I have a picture of one of her modeling photos. It's it's a tasteful one. But there she is. It doesn't even really look like her to me. Me either. I had to fact check that. <laughs> yeah, she looks a lot different. Mm-hmm. Not bad, just different. Not bad, but just different. She eventually ended up in Oxnard, California, where she moved in with her half-brother, she went back to dancing and possibly dabbled in sex work at this time, but it's not for sure. What is for sure is that things were not looking up. Girl went dark for a while. In May of 1997, she was arrested. By December, she was arrested again for possession. She failed to appear in court, so she got probation. In the beginning of 1998, her brother said, you gotta go. I got my own problems to deal with. He also um, had a drug addiction as well. Oh, my gosh. So after that, she pretty much went from couch to couch and had more run-ins with the law. Poor baby girl. I know. In February of that same year, she was arrested for public intoxication. Her friends and family say that she started becoming paranoid after she was released and claiming that somebody was trying to kill her. 
On March 20th, she hitchhiked to Fresno, and nobody knows why. Maybe she just needed to get the fuck out of there. I mean, maybe. It was only a few hours before she had her first encounter with the police there. She was once again arrested for public intoxication. It was pretty bad. She couldn't even identify who she was. Oh, my. So while in Fresno, she made money doing sex work and stayed in abandoned houses mostly. All of these events led to a very tragic end for her. On March 24th, she was spotted at a convenience store at 10.30 p.m., which is really weird because the last time yours was seen was 10.30 p.m. as well. Oh, yeah. She then called her parents and some friends. They all reported that she once again sounded paranoid and disoriented. By 11, she had met up with some man staying at a hotel nearby. (laughs) This This is crazy. This is a crazy little story. Okay, so she somehow convinced him to act as her pimp so she could go get some business. What? Why do you need a pimp for that? I don't know. Maybe she wanted to seem more legit. And I I don't know. Maybe she thought she could get more money from them if she had a pimp. Maybe. And they usually can. So he agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I'll be your pimp. Why not? Um, They picked up three men and brought them back to the hotel room. Things did not go according to plan, however, because Mr. Pimp had a girlfriend. Mm, I bet she didn't like that. Girlfriend found out and showed up and was pissed off and kicked all of them out. So Jill ended up leaving with these three guys in their mid-20s to 30s, very possibly Hispanic, and disappeared into the night in their green or gray 1980-ish Ford Tempo. Let's go see the car. Okay. (laughs) Just because, ew. (laughs) (laughs) that's not cute don't get in that car no of course back then it wasn't like it wouldn't have been an old and probably decrepit car now it would be it'd be falling apart it looks like the car that some accountant would drive (laughs) (laughs) no offense if you're an accountant the dude with the stapler from the office (laughs) from office from office space yes Think of it for Stop some it. It's <laughs> um. <laughs> <That's> my stapler. <laughs> All right, this sucks. Back, back to reality. Okay. The following day, a construction, wor- construction worker discovered her body. She had been stabbed 29 times and bludgeoned to death. Fuck. Her body had been discarded in a field littered with used condoms just behind the Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals headquarters. Since Jill had no identification on her, it would take a week for her to be identified using fingerprints. That is the most horrible paragraph. Yeah. Thanks. Behind the Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals headquarters. Yeah. Can you shorten it? Well, I'm just like the irony here. I know. Isn't that fucked up? Ugh. Awful. And that's where people decided, you know, it was so. Okay. Yeah. Here's a little bit more about the area. So the murder took place in an area that was frequented by sex workers and the investigation was met by silence. Those who frequented the area didn't want to speak to police. Hello. Of course not. A three month investigation went on and police had nothing. It could be the three men that she left with, or it could have been someone she met afterwards. There's no way to know. The three men were never identified, and there are no other suspects to this day. Wow. 
Detective Al Murrieta of the Fresno Police Department was also was in charge of the case. He told the Times in a 2001 interview that all of Weatherwax's actions after she arrived there were substantiated up until about an hour before her death. He verified the autopsy report, saying there were no contaminants in her body. So she no drugs, she wasn't on no drugs. alcohol. He placed her death at approximately midnight on March 24th. She was found about 12 hours later, just before noon on March 25th. Sergeant Chris Serrano of the Fresno Police Department and Homicide Unit Supervisor said that the murder investigation is still considered an open investigation. We do not have any active leads in the case currently. This case will remain open as there is no statute of limitations which would prohibit us from prosecuting the case in the future should additional evidence become available. Thank God. Yeah. Jill Ann is bur- buried at Oakwood Cemetery in Fenton. The cross-shaped headstone used to feature her senior picture on it in which she holds a rose. I couldn't find that photo. Aww. But the oval piece in the center of the granite grave marker has been replaced. The photograph was damaged by weather and mm-hmm. just time, unfortunately. It is now a black polished piece with a guardian angel etched onto it with the inscription, In the Spring Becomes the Rose. I have a photo of the grave. Okay. Her little tombstone. It's not little, actually. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty big. Her family is actually buried next to her. Okay. Her mother died in 2006 at age 69. She did have brothers and a sister. Um, her brother, Timothy, died in 2016 at age 52. As of October 2021, Jill is survived by two siblings, Julie Hickman and Scott Millard. I don't know if Scott is still alive, but Julie is still very much active in her stuff. Jill's family scoffed at the idea that she was involved in sex work or drugs. She had no reason why she would ever have to stoop that low, said her sister Julie. It's just ludicrous. My sister had access to as much money as she needed and as many important and powerful people as she needed. Her family felt that investigators were struggling to solve the case, so decided to victimize the victim. So there's that. If you do have any information about this case at all, it has been officially been declared cold. Okay. Um, But you can reach the Fresno Police Department at 559-621-7000 if you have anything to contribute. That was bonkers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, wow, I found a bunch of dirt Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I found a bunch of PG articles and then I dove into YouTube videos and got some, some tea. Yeah, that, that was insane. Mm hmm. Good job, friend. I really hope it gets solved, but it's like I said, 25 years next month. So poor Jill. Yeah. That doesn't mean it won't ever though. That's true. That's true. I mean, crazier things have happened. Mm hmm. So don't give up hope. It could happen. Yeah. So what else we got? Ooh, we got we got trivia stuff. You want to <laughs> announce the winners? Sure. So last week's winners, these these ladies are starting to rack up on some points. On Instagram, it was Miss Shannon Williams, and on Facebook, it was Rebecca Ayers. Good, Good job, job, girl. I mean, both Yay, of y'all. friends. If y'all want to be in the running for the unknown prize. <laughs> it's a mystery prize. Mystery prize. Y'all better step up your game, just saying. You have about 16 more trivia questions to go. 16, 17, something like that. That was fast math. Yeah. I have no idea. 
Yeah. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> okay. So our question was, who left his young victims near I-295 in Washington, D.C.? And here's your answer. Uh-huh. The freeway phantom is linked to six murders of young girls and women ages 10 to 18 between April 1971 and September 1972. The victims were abducted and strangled. Some were sexually assaulted as well, and all were black. Uh. So, um, fuck you, freeway phantom killer. Yeah. Our uh, podcast pals, Northern Gothic Crime. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Northern Gothic Truck. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's a long name, but anyway, she messaged me the answer and Shannon had already gotten it, but, she, um, she said that she was just driving by there that night. Oh, that's crazy. So they they live right there. And, uh, so she said, yeah, um, I always think of that case when I drive there. It's crazy how he even got the bodies around. It's all just tight roads. She said it's like a spider web of um, highways surrounding it, and 295 goes along the side of the Potomac River and the Pentagon, but there are random dense forested areas along parts of it. I want to go. <laughs> that sounds like a fun drive. <laughs> I can't with you. We can go, but I'm going to drive. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> I think it's loud and clear what I'm trying to say. You won't do pit stops? Selfies? No, I'll pit stop and selfie. I'm not trying to have whiplash or <laughs> any, anything of the sort. How dare you? My driving is amazing. <laughs> I've only almost died a couple times. But you're alive now. True story. All right. So do you have a new trivia question for us yet? Okay. This is a weird question. So okay. I, okay. I just found a really weird one. Let's do it. Listen up, friends. Okay. What was the hair color of as many as 11 women murdered across the Bible Belt in the 1980s? <laughs> All right. I'll read that one more time. For the people in the back. What was the hair color of as many as 11 women murdered across the Bible Belt in the 1980s? And your time starts now. Yeah. I, I don't really need to put a deadline on it because everybody gets it really fast. Yep. <laughs> so just go. Race to the finish. Get your mystery prize. Get your stars. Get your stars. <laughs> All right. And, you know, go to the socials to participate in said trivia and mm -hmm. other fun things. All the fun things. Yep. Come back next week. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all I have, too. Okay. Okay. Bye, friends. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout-out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. I'll talk at you next week.